Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. partner and welcome to not just a sports report today finally getting amongst it once again uh, after a little bit of a break we are returning full-time every single week preview and predictions for the UFC so very happy to be back this marks the first card uh, of the full-time return so preview and predictions for every card this year coming out and this the first of many obviously I've been doing this for a while uh, I did a one at the start of the year, uh, but had a little break. So now we are fully back on. And what's in store this weekend? Well, that would be UFC Vegas number 70, taking place from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas and taking place from Sunday morning Australian time, Saturday night over in the States. Now, we're hot off the heels of a massive Perth card, as well as last weekend's card from the Apex, in which Aaron Blanchfield really stood up and was counted. Now, unfortunately, didn't get to post my picks for that, uh, but my pick was Erin Blanchfield. I'm telling you, I think this, this lady is the next champion. I really do. Now, let's get to this card this weekend, UFC Vegas 70, headlined by a very intriguing and sure-to-be-explosive light heavyweight collision between Nikita Krylov and Ryan Superman Span. Are they contenders? Are they gatekeepers? Are they pretenders? We're going to get a lot of answers to those questions in the main event this weekend. And it looks destined to end inside the distance. I will be shocked if this one goes the full five rounds. Now, a couple of fights being scratched, including the first two fights that were supposed to take place on this card, Haley Cowan and Eileen Perez, as well as No Way Jose Johnson and Garrett Armfield. So they've been scratched. That leaves us with about 11 fights. And I'm going to try and get this one done pretty quickly. Given it's not a huge card, obviously the return of John Jones next weekend. That'll be a longer podcast. I'm going to deep dive right into that pay-per-view. Uh, but given that this weekend's card is just in the apex, I'm going to try and get through this one fairly quickly. And my theme for this card, if you've listened to the podcast before, we have ones to watch top prospects, and elite contenders. Uh, so you kind of work your way up, ones to watch, kind of fighters who, keep, ones to keep an eye on, basically. Clayton Rodriguez was one of the more recent ones to watch. Uh, and I think this card is full of a lot of potential ones to watch, as well as some potential top prospects, and even some elite contender potential, the likes of Tatiana Suarez, as well as Andre Muniz. So plenty to get to in this card, ones to watch, seemingly the theme, and now there is nothing else to do but get amongst it, UFC Vegas 70, Preview and Predictions. Alright, now with the two original opening fights being scratched, that now sees a new opener for this weekend's card, and it's going to be veteran lightweight Rafael the Turn Alves returning to competition as he welcomes Tajikistan's Nurulo Aliyev 
to the bright lights of the UFC. Now, I'll start with Rafael the Turn Alves from Brazil, 32 years old, and training at MMA Masters, a really quality gym. And I'd say Rafael Alves, he's going to be brushing up on his skills. Obviously, last time out, finished by Drew Dober. Uh, so they're going to look to tighten the ship a little bit. And Rafael Alves and MMA Masters entering Vegas this weekend in search of victory. It's been win-loss, win-loss so far in recent times for Rafael Alves. He obviously earned the Dana White's Contender Series UFC contract back in 2020 with his second round submission over Alejandro Flores Garcia. Then in his debut, Rafael was given a very stern assignment, Damir Ismagulov. Uh, he lost that one by decision, did Rafael Alves, before bouncing back. And this one definitely got me. I picked against Alves in this one. Uh, he submits Mark Jacasey in November 2021. First round submission, and that immediately propels Rafael Alves into the attention and into the sphere of those who are paying close attention to mixed martial arts. Then, most recently, July last year, Rafael Alves and Drew Dober put on one hell of a show for the fans at UFC 277, uh, but it wasn't to be for Alves getting knocked out in the third round. That was one that I did get correct. Huge fan of Drew Dober. Looks as though his next opponent could be Paddy the Batty Pimblet. So keep an eye on that, but for now, we'll stick with Rafael Alves. Looking at his professional record, that stands at 20 wins and 11 losses. So not the most impressive record on the eye, but that's 31 fights right there. A ton of experience under the belt of Rafael Alves. Now, Alves has wins in six of his past eight fights, and 15 of his 20 wins have been finished inside the distance. So Rafael Alves absolutely loves to get the fight done early. Nine times he's achieved a first-round finish. Uh, but on the flip side of that, not only does Rafael Alves have a pattern of finishing his opponents, uh, but also a pattern of being finished. 10 of 11 losses for Rafael Alves coming inside the distance. Six losses by way of submission, four losses by knockout. Uh, but then when you look at his wins, seven wins by knockout, eight by submission. So very explosive fighter is Rafael Alves. And pretty much every time he steps foot inside the octagon or even outside of the UFC, uh, chaos seems to follow. So very excited for this fight. And taking on Rafael Alves this weekend is the newcomer, a prospect who's getting a few fans excited. This guy looks like he could be something quite special in the lightweight division, that being Nurulo Aliyev. From Tajikistan, he is only 23 years old. So best years still definitely in front of him. Now on Sherdog.com, shout out to Sherdog, get a lot of information from their fantastic website for all things mixed martial arts. Uh, but on Sherdog, Nurulo Aliyev actually has an NA next to his association or his gym. So look, I'm sure he trains somewhere. And could I go and research and find that out? Absolutely. Am I going to? No. So right now, says association not applicable, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but Nerullo, he is a top prospect making his way through the ranks. This is his official UFC debut after earning a contract in September last year, a round one technical knockout victory over Josh Wick. Now, Nerullo Aliyev 
has a professional record standing at eight wins and no losses. So he's an undefeated fighter with an unblemished record, although he is facing a significant step up in competition here. So look, Aliyev, he hasn't been rolling through like these top guys on the regional circuit to make this name for himself. He's beaten steady opponents, but Rafael Alves is definitely a major step up in competition for the 8-0 Narulo Aliyev. Now, Narulo, six of his eight wins have come by decision, which is interesting given that, as I mentioned before, Rafael Alves, pretty much every single fight he's ever been involved in has ended inside the distance. So six of eight wins by way of decision, uh, but Narulo Aliyev also has two wins by knockout slash technical knockout, including in his last outing. Now, having a look at the tail of the tape, uh, Rafael Alves, 32 years old, Narulo Aliyev, 22. Uh, as far as height and reach, a significant over 10 centimeter reach advantage for Narulo Aliyev. Uh, I do think that's gonna come into play in the exchanges on the feet. Uh, so yeah, more reach and a little bit more height for Narulo Aliyev, as well as the 10 year age discrepancy. Uh, we do know that that favors the younger fighter Majority of the time, I think it's 60-something percent of the time, uh, when it's a 10-year age gap, the younger fighter wins. So we've got 22-year-old, or 23, according to Sherdog. My goodness, what does it say on Sherdog? October 16th, 1999. See, I think he's 23. Uh, Google says 22. God, who the fuck can I trust for information, honestly? Oh, he's 22 or he's 23, so we know that. Uh, and yeah, obviously statistics, statistics, sorry, I can't even speak English, uh, that will favor the younger fighter in Aliyev. Now stylistically, very intriguing matchmaking this one. Rafael Alves, from 31 career fights, 25 of those have ended inside the distance. Uh, so there's definitely a pattern there. When Rafael Alves fights, you needn't worry about the judges more often than not. Now, when you compare that to six of Narulo's eight fights being won by decision, there's, you know, I don't know how to quite articulate this, but that's where the matchmaking comes in. Because is Rafael Alves and his explosive style going to force Narulo to fight a different sort of fight? Or is Narulo going to stick to his guns and be able to shut down the very, very ferocious Brazilian in Rafael Alves? Now, interesting note here as well, in terms of what I was saying, uh, the finishes for Alves in his pro career and the decisions for Narulo Aliyev. Well, 75% of Narulo's wins have come by way of decision. 75% of Rafael Alves' wins have come by stoppage. So some interesting numbers. It makes you wonder, are we going to see this fight go the distance? Well, that's one of the most intriguing con uh, questions going into this contest. Now, Narulo is the first of many prospects on this card to keep an eye on, and that makes Alves the perfect stylistic assignment upon entry into the UFC. Now, Narulo Aliyev is a freestyle fighter. Uh, stylistically, there have been comparisons to Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, just in the way that Aliyev can shut his opponents down, and once he gets them down to the mat, they do struggle to get back up. So that style has traditionally worked wonders against Brazilian opponents, uh, but we will have to see. Given that Rafael the Turn Alves is extremely well-rounded, he's got serious knockout power, very solid striking, 
and he's fantastic when it comes to work on the ground. As far as Rafael Alves and his weaknesses though, he's absor uh, absorbed almost double the significant strikes than he has landed per minute. Can't really afford to be doing that in the UFC if you're getting hit more times than you're actually landing. I mean, that seems like a recipe uh, for a pretty short career inside the UFC. Now for Rafael, he does have a lot more experience and a much higher level of competition. He's very explosive, uh, but it's a totally different matchup because as I mentioned, Aliyev, he's not a known fight finisher. He's more than happy to be patient and just dominate each different stage of the fight. Whereas Alves, he doesn't rest on his laurels. He goes out there looking for the finish. And yeah, I just think stylistically, very interested to see how they match up. Now, checking out the rankings picture as for where these guys stand on the worldwide scale in their division, uh, Narulo Aliyev is ranked 66 in Russian lightweight, in the uh, Russian lightweight rankings. So that's not great. That's not, that's not the world rankings. That's just in Russia, and he's 66th. Is that a red flag? Is this guy being built up as a bit more of a prospect than he actually is? Well... That's another question that's going to have to be answered this weekend. Uh, but Narulo, 66th amongst Russian lightweights. Although Russians, very, very dominant, especially Russian lightweights. So, look, I bet the 65 guys ahead of him in Russia are all killers. I'm not taking anything away from it, but somewhat of a red flag uh, that he's not even in the top 50 Russian lightweights. But we'll have to see how he goes this weekend. As for Rafael Alves, he is ranked 39th worldwide at 155 pounds. So Rafael is in the world rankings in the top 40 as well in the 39th position. And lightweight is arguably the most stacked division inside the UFC. So a successful 2023, that could see either of these guys challenge someone within the top 15 over the next year or so. Uh, but they're a couple of wins away from doing that, which makes this weekend's contest pivotal for both of their careers going forward. As far as my prediction, I'm going to go with Narulo Aliyev. Uh, like I said, 66th amongst Russian lightweights is a red flag for me, uh, and it's something that will make me quite nervous putting my hard-earned money on Narulo Aliyev this weekend. Uh, but I just think, as I said, this card, it features a lot of fighters that you need to keep an eye on, and the ones that win will be right in there to be elevated to one-to-watch status. And from what I see of Narulo Aliyev, he's got potential, and that first step of his UFC journey to beat someone like Rafael Alves, that would affirm that this guy is one-to-watch. So I'm going to take Narulo Aliyev by decision. Uh, as I mentioned stylistically, the biggest question, does this fight go the distance? Now, I have Narulo Aliyev winning. Does Rafael Alves exhaust himself? and get finished a bit later in the fight, potentially. Uh, but yeah, I just haven't seen quite enough from Narulo Aliyev to back him in for the finish here. Uh, but I do think he's a prospect that can pass this test. So I'm going to go Narulo Aliyev by decision. I think he dominates on the ground. And yeah, potentially 30-27, 29-28. Either way, I think it's going to be quite a clear-cut victory. And so with that being said, that's my first pick of UFC Vegas 70. I'm going to take Narulo Aliyev to go on to become one to watch in the lightweight division with a decision victory 
over Rafael Alves. Nurul Aliyev by decision. Now, let's get amongst our next fight. Two stars at the lightweight division are on show up next as American top teams Carl Deaton III makes the walk to the octagon for the first time, squaring off against Joe Selecki, a talented 155er with wins in seven of his past eight fights. Now, Carl Deaton III, I said American top teams, uh, he's been listed with American top team on Sherdog, uh, but he's also on the UFC's website listed with Syndicate MMA. So, wondering, is he with one or the other? Is he with both? Eh, we'll find out, won't we? Now, I'll start with Joe Selecki. We've seen him in the UFC before. This is not, by any means, his first rodeo. Selecki from the United States, 29 years old and representing Jim O. He had a great win streak halted uh, last, or October 2021. I keep thinking we're in 2022. I'm like a year behind. Uh, but October 2021, a win streak was halted for Selecki when he lost by split decision up against Jared Gordon. But then in June last year, a pretty quick bounce back, majority decision win for Selecki over Alex Da Silva. So now Selecki back in winning ways, and he's going to be hoping to really make a run of significance within the division this year. Looking at Joe Selecki's profile uh, and his professional record, that stands at 12 wins and 3 losses. Now, two or three losses have come by way of decision. The only time that Selecki's been stopped was a knockout loss. Now, Joe Selecki, seven of his 12 wins have come by way of submission. That is absolutely his bread and butter. And in this contest, submission does seem to be the clear path to victory. So 12 and three overall, seven wins by submission. Uh, and yeah, that's basically his record summed up. Now, Selecki, he has 57% striking accuracy, uh, but striking is not his bread and butter. He likes to come out immediately, put the grappling pressure on from the word go. He's trying to get takedowns. Selecki really doesn't waste any time. Now, he's not a high output striker, but he has great defensive ability on the feet. And Joe Selecki, there's a lot to like. There's a lot to suggest that this guy could become a problem within the division. And obviously his strongest point is seriously strong ground game. Now opposing Selecki this weekend is Carl Deaton III, nicknamed Anishinaabe. He is 33 years old from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now Carl Deaton, this will be his UFC debut. He's coming off back-to-back -back wins. Uh, the first of those in February last year over Justin Janes, who was just cut from the UFC uh, just before that fight. And then a second round submission win for Carl Deaton last time out uh, over Antonio or Antoine Blassen game. Yes, uh, for WXC88, Flint Vehicle City. Uh, I don't know how I missed that show. That, that one was not to miss. Now, Carl Deaton, his professional record, very interesting. 17 wins, 5 losses, and no, or 2 no contests. 12 of 15 wins by stoppage. So Carl Deaton, he's a stoppage specialist, nine submission wins. So it is his UFC debut, but he's actually had more wins by submission than Joe Selecki. And that's Selecki's bread and butter. So it looks like both of these guys, their bread is buttered at the table of submissions. So that both guys, they like to go for submissions. I'm expecting 
submission attempts to kind of be the key theme throughout this match. Now, Carl Deaton, he has nine first round finishes on his resume and has a two fight win streak going for himself. Uh, before this two fight win streak, he did drop back to back contests. So for Carl Deaton, he's gonna hope that this UFC debut can be the best performance of his career. Checking out the tale of the tape, Selecki's uh, 29, not 39, just aged the bloke by fucking 10 years, uh, and Carl Deaton, 33 years old. Small height advantage for Selecki, as well as a decent reach advantage, just under four centimeters. As I said, I expect this to be quite a grappling heavy contest, so I don't think the height and reach will come into it as much as it would in some other contests. Now, stylistically, I've already mentioned it, I think this is going to be a submission battle. It's the clear path to victory for both men. Uh, but given that that is where their bread is butted, you would have to assume that they don't just have great submission offense, but that they have fantastic submission defense as well. So I think we're going to see a lot of trying to advance positions and just, I think we're going to see a lot of patience because both guys know that it's going to take some time to find a chink in their opponent's armor. So I expect the first round or two to be both these guys really trying to work out exactly uh, how the one another are going to go about this fight. Uh, but at some stage, I think someone's going to lock in a submission. Now, Selecki, as I said, loves to rush out of the gates, loves to put that pressure on. That could work really well for him or against someone like Carl Deaton that could definitely backfire and he could find himself getting tapped out early in this contest. Two high-paced lightweights going at it, sure to be a lot of fun. Now, Carl Deaton III is positioned seventh amongst the United States Midwest lightweight ranks. So he's not in the world rankings, but seventh in the United States Midwest division. Uh, now, for Joe Selecki, he is in the worldwide rankings, currently sitting 36th. So for the winner of this, they can start making moves and they can look at 2023 as a great year to propel themselves forward to next year, which is when they could expect, should they keep winning, to be given a ranked opponent and really get a chance at making a run for the title. Both guys still a little way off that point yet, uh, but someone, they have to progress forward, they have to move forward in the division. I think Joe Selecki is that guy. As I said, I believe it's going to be a battle of the submissions. In the end, I think Joe Selecki comes out on top. Now, Carl Deaton III, massive underdog in this contest, and I had a look at the betting market, did consider going for Carl Deaton III, because I definitely think there's value there, and there's absolutely no value if you're going to be putting your money on Selecki. However, this podcast isn't about betting. This is just pure picks. The aim is to get it right. And I believe the right way to go in this contest is Joe Selecki. Not as confident about the submission finish. I can see Selecki by either submission or decision. But we've still got a fair few fights to go. So let's not get caught up on the second fight of the night. Let's just bang our prediction out and move on to the next one. I've got Joe Selecki by submission. At some stage, I think he wraps it up. And to specify, I think it'll be a rear naked choke submission. I think somewhere in the exchanges and the scrambles, Joe Selecki is going to start to impose himself. And at some stage, I'm backing him to lock in the rear naked choke. So Joe Selecki by submission. Now let's get amongst the next.
Next up is a fight I'm really keen for on this prelims card. Taking place at catchweight, but between two flyweights, we have Ode, the Jamaican sensation Osborne, bringing his signature style of heat to the apex this weekend as he faces off with the surging Charles Energy Johnson, a former LFA flyweight champion chasing two wins in as many months. Now Charles, he's poised to make a giant leap forward in the division with a win here. Odin Osborne, he has that name value. He's been in the division for a hot minute. He's been made a highlight at points and he's created some highlights. So Odin Osborne, a great step up, a great logical next choice in terms of opponent for Charles Johnson, who's really looking to make a fast and furious run to the top of the division. As for Ode Osborne, he returns for the first time since August last year, where he was floored by Tyson Nam en route to a knockout loss. So Ode Osborne is coming off a pretty devastating knockout, whilst for Charles Johnson, he's coming off a knockout win, literally last month against Jimmy Flick. So Charles Johnson wasting no time getting back in there. Can Ode regain momentum or is this weekend going to be all about the energy? Now don't forget as well, this one taking place at catchweight. How does that affect the fight given that they get or they don't have to cut the extra five pounds? Well, that's sure to mean that both these fighters are going to be just that little more durable than they would be if they cut down to 125. Now let's take a look at the fighters in this contest. We'll start with Ode, the Jamaican sensation Osborne from the United States, I believe of Jamaican heritage or descent. That would explain the Jamaican sensation, otherwise he'd be called the Wisconsin sensation. Anyway, Ode, 31 years old and representing Wakasha MMA. A uh, bit of a mixed bag for Ode. He's had some great wins, I mean, none better than a featherweight division knockout. So yes, stepping up two divisions uh, to featherweight. He beat Jerome Rivera or Jerome Rivera in 26 seconds with a knockout. And that's when people definitely started to take notice of Ode Osborne. Then after that, he gets knocked out in the first round by Manel Cape, one of the dead set real threats in this division. Back-to-back -back wins followed for Ode, and then most recently the first round knockout loss up against Tyson Nam. Now for Ode Osborne, his professional record stands at 11 wins, 5 losses and 1 no contest. And the key statistic in the professional record of Ode Osborne, 9 of his 11 wins have come inside the distance, 5 knockouts, 4 submissions. So he's not here looking to outpoint Charles Johnson, I think that much is very apparent. Now Ode has 8 first round finishes on his resume and when you look at his losses, they also include quite a few finishes. Four of five losses for Ode Osborne coming inside the distance. That would suggest this one probably not going the full 15. Although given that this one's at catch weight, like I mentioned, a little more cardio and a little more durability for both of these fighters. Now Ode Osborne is a striker and he takes on this weekend none other than Charles Energy Johnson. Now Johnson has wins in six of his past seven fights, really starting to make a name for himself inside the UFC and a high level of activity. I think this will be what, his seventh fight in the last 14 months. So very high le level of activity. There's a lot to like when it comes to Charles Johnson. 
From St. Louis, Missouri, the 32-year-old trains at Mercy Largo MMA, and he's coming off two straight wins. Now, he came into the UFC on short notice, lost a decision up against Mohamed Mokayev, who, interestingly enough, Charles Johnson has been doing work with uh, in the camp leading up to this fight. Then two straight wins for Charles, a split decision, which was very stop-start against Selgas Zumagulov. And then in January this year, so literally only last month, uh, Charles Johnson gets Jimmy Flick out of there in the first round. He backs up ultra quickly, and another win definitely adds Charles Johnson's name into the mix of potential contenders at 125. Looking at Charles Johnson's professional record, 13-3, and three, he's never been finished. All three of his losses coming by way of decision. That interesting stylistically, uh, interesting because O'Day Osborne, 9 or 10 of 11, was it? Let me go back to that. 9 of 11 wins inside the distance. So O'Day Osborne, he doesn't like to uh, look to outpoint people. Charles Johnson has never been finished. So that'll be a huge feather in the cap of O'Day Osborne as he looks to regain momentum if he can be the first person to stop Johnson inside the distance. Back to Charles though, and six of his 13 wins have come by way of knockout. He's very well-rounded, high level in my opinion in every area. Charles has fantastic boxing. He's got a really strong wrestling game as well as an underutilized and very underappreciated submission game in my opinion. Now onto the tail of the tape. Uh, only one year age difference between them. Charles Johnson 32 whilst O'Day is 31. Uh, height advantage for Charles Johnson but a pretty sizable reach advantage for O'Day Osborne uh, as is pretty much always the case given that O'Day very long for the division. He's a hard guy stylistically to be paired with on the feet. So there is a reach advantage for O'Day Osborne. I believe he can use that uh, to his favor, but Charles Johnson, he's gonna be more than up for this contest. Stylistically, like I mentioned, Charles is a threat everywhere. Sensational boxing, high level wrestling. He's got knockout power, solid submission arsenal. And I just believe that Charles Johnson in this one is a significantly more well-rounded fighter. Now for O'Day Osborne, his biggest skill lays on the feet. He's a phenomenal striker, so I'm expecting him to try and keep this one standing, uh, but I can see Charles Johnson bringing in some grappling. So O'Day Osborne, if this fight stays standing, his chances of winning dramatically increase, uh, but I think Charles Johnson, he's got a very good variation in terms of his skill set. So if things aren't quite going his way on the feet, Johnson very comfortable on the mat as well. Now looking at the World Tapology Rankings picture, this is for the World Flyweight Rankings. O'Day ranked 22nd, Charles Johnson ranked 21st. So I think that says it all really. Winner of this one moves on to a ranked opponent next. And Charles Johnson, he's been saying if he gets the win here and all goes well, he'd like to be back in action around April. So we're seeing a serious run being made right now. In particular, Charles Johnson is making his charge toward the top 15. But all it takes for O'Day Osborne is to shut that hype down, get the win here this weekend, and once again, O'Day will be off to the races and reinsert himself into the situation and the conversation of potential challenges going forward in the flyweight division. Now, you can probably guess my prediction. I've kind of favoured Charles Johnson 
in this preview. And as I mentioned uh, at the start of this podcast, the general theme of this card, ones to watch and top prospects, I think Charles Johnson, he's already been in the one to watch category. I think with a finish win this weekend, he elevates himself to top prospects status. So I really do think Charles Johnson is on a run that is going to be very hard to stop right now. I don't have full confidence in Ode Osborne being the one to stop this role. And I have a lot of confidence in the ability of the inner G. So I'm going to take Charles Johnson. I'm going to take Charles Johnson by knockout. Why? Uh, I'll go back to the top prospect theory. I think if he really wants to stand up, a decision win, yeah, it's good. It's going to move you forward. You probably still get a ranked opponent next. Uh, but if you can achieve the finish over Ode Osborne, all of a sudden your stocks dramatically increase. And I think Charles Johnson, the time just feels right. Now's the time to achieve another finish and make a giant leap forward within the division. So I'm taking Charles Johnson by knockout. I was envisioning maybe a decision, even submission. It was quite hard uh, to pick the method of victory. But I'm pretty confident Charles Johnson is going to win this. I won't be shocked if Ode Osborne does win this. Uh, but I just have a pretty high opinion on what Charles can do in this division. And he's making a run of serious consequence in 2023. So I'm going to go with Charles Johnson over Ode Osborne. I think we're going to see a very, very fun fight. Uh, but I think as soon as the opportunity presents itself, Charles Johnson is going to look to put Ode away. I think he's got the skills and the power to be able to do just that. So with that being said, my prediction for this catchweight contest, I am going to go with Charles Energy Johnson by knockout. With that being said, now there is nothing else to do but get amongst the next one. Lightweight division action up next, we've got Jordan Levitt up against Victor Martinez. Now, the Monkey King Jordan Levitt enters Vegas this weekend, hoping to bounce back from a second round submission loss against Paddy the Batty Pimblet in London last year. Jordan Levitt carries a 3-2 UFC record into this fight, and he's going to be looking to get back into the winner's column. Opposing Levitt this weekend is Dana White's Contender Series graduate, Victor Martinez, who is going to look to extend his winning run to eight straight after picking up his seventh consecutive victory on the Contender Series over Jacob Rosales. This is the official debut under the UFC banner for Victor Martinez and a great chance for him to pick up a win over someone who's now got a bit of name value after rubbing shoulders with Paddy Pimblett. Now, these two fighters were originally scheduled to fight last April, uh, didn't happen for whatever reason, and now the fight has been rebooked. Now, Victor Martinez, he is 13-2 over his last 15 outings. So, very, very impressive form line leading up to this UFC debut. But I'll start with his opponent, Jordan the Monkey King Levitt, an American, 27 years old, training at Syndicate MMA. Now, the Monkey King had a two-fight win streak broken in July last year up against Paddy Pimblett, and he's going to be looking to get back to winning ways. Now, Levitt has a professional record of 10 wins and 2 losses, uh, one decision loss and one submission in his last outing. 
As far as Levitt's wins, six of ten wins have come by way of submission, so very clearly that seems to be his preferred method of victory. Levitt is a freestyle fighter, and in my opinion, fantastic grappler does leave a bit to be desired on the feet. He's got 63% striking accuracy, does Levitt, so accuracy is not so much the problem, more so his output and his volume of striking. Now, Levitt has four first-round finishes on his resume, and look, if he can pick up a fifth first-round finish in this one, that'll catapult him back into another big matchup like in his last one. It won't be easy, though, as Levitt takes on Victor the Brick Martinez. That is an ominous nickname, the Brick. Now, Victor from Texas, 31 years old and training at Fortis MMA, so this is a battle between two really quality gyms, in Syndicate and Fortis. And for Victor Martinez, he is on a seven fight win streak, most recently picking up that decision over Jacob Rosales. That of course wasn't on Contender Series last year. That was actually from 2021. So we've been waiting a while to see Victor Martinez in action and we finally get to see him make his debut this weekend. Now Victor the Brick has a professional record standing at 13 and four with 62% of wins for Martinez coming by way of knockout. So there's your stylistic battle there. Jordan Levitt, a very strong grappler looking for the submission, whilst Martinez, a very strong striker looking for that knockout. Now, the glaring stat here for Martinez is that 50% of his losses have come by way of submission. So two of his four losses coming by way of submission, that is an area that can definitely be exploited by Jordan Levitt in this fight. Checking the tail of the tape, Levitt 27 years old, Victor Martinez 31 years old. A slight reach advantage and height advantage for Jordan Levitt, but not heaps. I can't imagine that's going to make a huge difference in this contest, given that Levitt more of a grappler than a striker. Now, when you look at the lightweight rankings on Tapology, Victor Martinez is not yet in the world rankings. A win here is certainly changing that. Uh, but right now, Victor Martinez is the fifth-ranked Texas lightweight. So there's four ahead of him in that Texas circuit. Uh, but Victor Martinez, he's going to hope to break into the world rankings with a win over Jordan Levitt. Speaking of Levitt, he is ranked 65 or 65th in the world lightweight rankings. So nowhere near the UFC's top 15 right now. Uh, but yeah, all you can do is keep winning and try and get yourself back to the great heights he got to. I mean, the Paddy Pimblett fight was a really big position. And had Levitt won that, he would have made a huge name for himself. But now he's got to go back to the drawing board, back to the UFC apex in front of barely any fans. And he's got to take on a debutante. Now for Jordan Levitt, as I mentioned, his best path to victory is to control Victor on the mat, choose position over submission, and just try and frustrate Martinez into making a mistake to where he can then lock up the submission. For Victor Martinez, his best path to victory is on better little best path to victory. Best path to victory uh, is on the feet. I think the longer this fight stays standing, the more that will favor Victor the Brick. And he's a very hard man to take down to the mat. So I think if he can keep this fight standing, inflict as much punishment as possible in the striking exchanges. Well, that would give Victor a huge chance of getting his hand raised. Now, when you look at the 50% of losses for Martinez coming by way of submission, 
that would point you to the logical choice to go with the Monkey King here uh, by way of submission. That kind of looks on paper if you match them up, like the way it's going to go. Uh, but I think stylistically, it's going to play out a little bit differently to what we may expect. I think Levitt's going to be forced to get into the striking at stages, whilst Victor Martinez is sure to have to grapple throughout the contest as well. As far as my final thoughts on this contest, I reckon it's a really quality stylistic clash, and whoever wins this is going to present, uh, progress that one step further in one of the UFC's most talent-rich divisions. As far as my prediction, I'm going to go the underdog here. I'm going to go the underdog. There are a couple of underdogs on this card I like. Victor Martinez is one of them. Now, my confidence level on this pick is quite low. I don't have a strong level of confidence with this. I don't always have a strong level of confidence when going for underdogs. But I like what I see from Victor Martinez. I liked what I saw when I first saw him on Contender Series. I thought, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. Now, we've had to wait quite some time to actually see him in action. But I've seen plenty from Jordan Levitt. I kind of know what he has to offer. That scares me because I think there's a huge chance Levitt gets the submission in this. Uh, but I just think as far as who has the highest ceiling going forward, I think there's more to work with with Victor Martinez. And I do believe he can keep this fight standing. So I'm going to go with Victor Martinez by decision. Really unsure on this pick. As I said, I've tossed up Levitt a lot to win by submission. But I'm going to back the underdog. I think he can inflict enough punishment on the feet, and I think he can kind of just snuff out Jordan Levitt's grappling game. So with that being said, close encounter at 155, but I'm going to go with Victor Martinez by decision over the Monkey King Jordan Levitt, potentially even split. I think it's going to be quite a close contest, a hard one to call if it does go to the judges' scorecards, uh, but ultimately, I'm backing the brick. Victor Martinez by decision. Now, let's sink our teeth into the next one. Canadian product Jasmine Jazdavicius is looking for a fight this weekend, and that call has been answered by none other than former LFA interim women's flyweight champion, Brazil's Gabriela Fernandez. Should be an interesting clash in the women's flyweight division, and I'll start with Jasmine da Jazdavicius, uh, from Ontario, Canada, 33 years old, and training at Niagara Top Team. Now, Jazz Davicius was on the roll of a lifetime. She'd picked up three straight wins, going into her last outing, uh, where she dropped a unanimous decision against Natalia Silva. Now, what we've come to learn since that loss for Jazz Davicius is that Natalia Silva is no joke. She is pretty quickly firming as one of the ones to watch at 125 pounds, uh, but for Jasmine Jazdavicius, you don't want to got, uh, get back-to-back -back losses. So she really, really needs to pick up the pace and get the victory in this one. Now, Jazdavicius has a professional record of 7-2. Four of her seven wins coming by way of decision. And both her losses coming by way of decision as well. Uh, so if you want to look at a pattern, more often than not, uh, the fights of Jazdavicius going the distance. Six of nine pro fights, in fact, have gone the distance for Jazz Davicius, so only three of her career fights have been finished inside the distance. Taking on Jazz Davicius this weekend is Gabriela Fernandez, known as Gabby. She is from Brazil, 29 years old, and representing Hikari. 
Now, Gabriela Fernandez is on quite the roll, a seven-fight win streak going into this weekend's clash, and the opportunity to leapfrog Jazz Devicius in the women's ranks and really start to make a run in 2023. So as I mentioned, a seven-fight winning run for Gabriela Fernandez, her most recent outing being a second-round submission win under the LFA banner. Now, Fernandez has an 8-1 professional record, as I mentioned, seven straight wins. So she is in the form of a lifetime right now, with five of eight wins coming inside the distance as well. An interesting note going into this in terms of whether this fight goes the distance, neither of these fighters have been finished. So that would suggest that they're durable, they've both got great defense, and more likely than not, this fight is going to go the distance. Now, checking the tail of the tape, Jazdavicius 33, whilst Fernandez is 29. As far as height and reach, uh, that lays with Jazdavicius. She is a quality striker as well, so I believe she can use that reach advantage uh, really well. I think if she can just stay and find her perfect range and pick off Fernandez from a distance, that could be a really effective game plan. So I do think the reach advantage will come into play in this fight. Stylistically, Jasmine's a brawler, whilst Gabby is a striker, so I expect a lot of this to take place on the feet. Uh, but who is going to be the better grappler? If it does come to that and we start seeing them work on the mat, I'm interested as to who's going to have the better ground game. Now, looking at the topology rankings picture, Gabriela Fernandez is the fifth-ranked female fighter in the Brazilian region, so she's yet to crack the world rankings. Whilst Jasmine, she is in the world rankings, with Jazdavicius ranked 40th worldwide. This contest, another really hard one to pick. I can see both ladies winning this one. They've shown a lot of promise. And look, someone's going to end up getting disappointed in this one. So I found picking a winner really hard. And I kind of just looked at who has the most potential to really have a crack at this women's flyweight division. I believe that's Gabriela Fernandez. Now, we haven't seen her tested at UFC level yet, but that's what her debut this weekend is going to be all about. And I just think going forward, if I had to pick who's more likely to really make an impact in this division, I think it's Gabriela Fernandez. She's got great power for the division, just a fantastic striker. And if she can beat Jazz Devicius, that's a great early sign that Fernandez could be one to watch in this division. So I'm going to go with Gabriela Fernandez. I think her striking is going to prove too much. Just powerful combinations. Whilst Jazz Devicius, I, I think her output will be there. Like I think we'll see a lot of strikes from Jazz Devicius. But I just think the power, the accuracy, uh, I think that's going to be too much for Jazz Devicius. So I'm going to take Gabriela Fernandez by decision. I think this one goes the full 15. And... At the end, I think really close contest that is decided on the feet. Who has the better striking, in my opinion? That would be Gabriela Fernandez. So I may come away from this pick with a better egg on my face. Jazz Devicius, definitely capable of making me look silly here. Uh, but I love what I see from Gabriela Fernandez. So I'm going to lock that one in. Gabriela Fernandez by decision over Jazz Devicius. And let's, let's wait and see. I think Gabriela Fernandez... Could really end up taking this division by storm. Gabriela Fernandez by decision. Now we get amongst the featured prelim.
A short notice featured prelim is up next in the spotlight position. We have got the ghost pepper, Eric Gonzalez, up against Trevor Peak, a top prospect making his official UFC debut. Now, both of these guys were actually originally scheduled to face different opponents. Gonzalez was slated to fight Darius Flowers, whilst Trevor Peak was supposed to face Alex Reyes. Both those fights got scratched though, and now we see these two guys paired together in our featured preliminary contest. Now I'll start with Eric, the Ghost Pepper Gonzalez from the United States, 31 years old and training at Fight Science. Gonzalez has an 0-2 UFC record after dropping his debut, getting knocked out early in the second round against Jim Miller, and then being finished via submission in the first round up against Terence McKinney last time out. Gonzalez still yet to make an impression inside the UFC, uh, but I believe there's a lot there to like. So he's going to be hoping the third time is the charm, and Gonzalez will carry a 14-7 and record into this contest. Now three of those seven losses coming by way of submission, so he will have to be careful here, although Trevor Peak not known for his submission game. Now for Eric Gonzalez, 8 wins by knockout, 6 first round finishes. As I said, there's a lot to like. There's a lot of potential that suggests he could halt this 2 fight losing skid. Opposing Gonzalez this weekend is Trevor Peak from Alabama, 20, uh, 28 years old rather, and from Agogi Combatives Gym. Now Trevor Peak is 7-0. He does have one no contest on his record, uh, but he's just been on a tear as of late. Just picking up win after win after win. Picked up several last year, uh, including a win over Warren Smith, first round knockout, and a first round knockout of former UFC talent, Karma Worthy. Now that was enough to put Trevor Peak in the sights of UFC matchmakers. That got him a spot on the Contender Series last year. And Trevor Peak, look, he got hammered in that first round up against Malik Lewis, and he showed that he's got that dog in him. Second round TKO win for Trevor Peak. And that was enough to earn him a UFC contract. Now, Trevor is seven wins, no contest. Uh, one, oh, fucking, fucking hell. Let me continue. We'll just, we'll not edit that out. We can just roll with that. Uh, seven, zero, and one no contest. So Trevor Peak has not lost. He's won seven times. All seven of those wins by knockout. Every single one of his wins have come by way of knockout, including five first round knockouts. Trevor Peak undoubtedly one to watch. Looking at the tail of the tape, Peak 28 years old, Gonzalez 31, and there is a height and reach advantage, a significant reach advantage, well over 10 centimeters for the Ghost Pepper Gonzalez. Now stylistically, this one's going to be fireworks. We know that for sure. Trevor Peak loves to get into a scrap, and Eric Gonzalez. He pushes the pace. He likes to come fast out of the gates and chase that knockout. Now, will the two consecutive losses change the Ghost Pepper's approach to this fight? We'll have to wait and see. Now, for Trevor Peak, there is a clear path to victory, the same path he's taken in all seven of his wins, that being to achieve the knockout. I think he can do it, but Eric Gonzalez, he has some serious power when it comes to knockouts himself, so really... It's going to be up to who can have the edge on the feet. And if this goes the distance, I do wonder who it'll favor because both guys, they're looking for the finish. They don't really seem to fight for points and to impress the judges. 
they seem to be chasing the finish at every moment of the fight. So it will be interesting what happens if this one somehow goes to the judges. Now, rankings picture on topology. Trevor Peak is the number one ranked lightweight in the Alabama region. So he's holding down that Alabama zone. Now he wants to take it worldwide. And Eric Gonzalez, he is ranked 160th worldwide. So quite a way away from any kind of top 15 push. But hey, a win here definitely puts him in the right direction. As far as my pick for this one, I'm going Trevor Peak. And I actually think there's a huge chance Eric Gonzalez spoils the party. Uh, but Trevor Peak, he's someone that I think can push a little bit closer toward that top 15 than Gonzalez. And I think Trevor Peak, basically I like what I see. I think there's some real potential here. And I'm going to back in the potential. Although Gonzalez is going to be very hungry. He doesn't want to lose three straight and potentially get cut. Uh, so this is a bit of a danger matchup. But I am going to go with Trevor Peak. All seven of his wins by knockout. So I'm going to say this eighth win also by knockout. That just seems like the sensible way to go. I think he's just in better form. He's much more confident given that he's on a winning run. And he's so powerful. So I think he gets it done. I'm going to say a flurry of punches. I'll say he rocks Eric Gonzalez early and then just puts him away with a big flurry. So I'm taking Trevor Peak by knockout. I believe he can go eight wins all by knockout, uh, but it remains to be seen what actually goes down. So we'll wait and curiously watch to see how this one goes. But as far as my prediction, I'm going to stick with Trevor Peak, and I'm going to go the only way he seems to know how to win by knockout. Trevor Peak by knockout, representing Alabama this weekend. Now, let's shoot across to the main card. What a main card we have in store. Obviously headlined by Krylov up against Span. A massive contest at 185 as well between Andre Muniz and of course his opponent in Brendan Allen. We've got a big heavyweight contest as well. But what better place to start than our main card opener. Two Canadians pitted against one another. So I'm going to say it. Winner of this starts to get a massive push from the UFC. I believe they're scheduled to go to Canada pretty soon. So they're going to be looking to build some stars. We've got two Canadians here who are going the right way about really making themselves a superstar on a worldwide scale. And they're up against each other. So this, for a real chance for the winner to start getting a major push and some steam behind them to make a run in the welterweight division. We've got Mike Malott up against Johan Lanes. Who is going to step up as Canada's best prospect inside the UFC's welterweight division. I'll start with Johan Lanes, who I've been keeping quite a close eye on since he hit the scene. Very powerful, serious power. One of those strikers who, when he knocks someone out, they don't just get knocked out, they are seriously sent to the shadow realm. Put it this way, I haven't seen anyone get up and protest a knockout at the hands of Johan Lanes. Very powerful individual, 30 years old, and the white lion hails from Quebec in Canada. Johan is a product of Brazilian top team Canada, and he enters this one with a UFC record of one win and one loss. Now, he was an undefeated fighter. He earned a contract on Dana White's Contender Series with a brutal first-round knockout of Justin Berlinson. But then, in his debut, we saw Johan Lanes 
He got pieced up. Now he is a giant man for the welterweight division. Clearly cuts a ton of weight to get down to 170. And in this fight against Gabe Green in Johan's UFC debut, we saw him just go too hard too early. He gassed out and Gabe Green really taught him some lessons. Now, then we see Johan Lanes return to action in September last year, picks up a split decision win over Darian Weeks, and yeah, Johan, I think in that one, he really showed that he'd taken some lessons on board from that debut fight against Gabe Green. He seemed to be more inclined to watch his cardio and try and, you know, make sure that he's still good to fight when it gets to the third round. So that makes Johan Lanes dangerous, if he can find that balance between his freakish power and his strength and conditioning, then there is a lot of reasons to suggest that Johan Lanes can be a problem at 170 pounds. Now, the former Cage Fury welterweight champion has a 9-1 record, the one obviously being the loss against Gabe Green by knockout slash technical knockout. Now, as for the 9 wins for Johan Lanes, 6 of 9 wins by way of knockout, very powerful, as I mentioned. So these aren't just stock standard knockouts. Like, he is really almost flatlining these guys. So do take that into account. Johan Lanes has crazy power, and he can put Mike Malott away at any stage of this contest if he can hit him square on the chin. So six of nine wins by KO for Lanes, five first-round finishes, and he has wins in nine of his last ten. However, Johan Lanes faces a fellow Canadian this weekend in proper Mike Malott, a 31-year-old hailing from Nova Scotia in Canada, and Malott represents Team Alpha Male, a very quality gym, of course fronted by Uriah Faber. Now, Malott is on an absolute tear at the moment. He's on a four-fight win streak, including a first-round submission on Contender Series. 39 seconds was all it took and he had himself a contract in the UFC. And then in his promotional debut last year, we saw Mike Malott steamroll Mickey Gall, first round technical knockout, and now Malott faces Johan Lanes, and the winner really benefits big time in my opinion. This is the UFC's way of saying, which of these Canadians could we turn into a star? Let's pick the better one and really put a rocket behind them. That's what I think is gonna happen here. The winner of this fight, is going to get that Dana White privilege, that rocket, strapped to their back and really pushed to the moon. Now, looking at Mike Malott's record, eight wins, one loss, one draw. His one loss also by knockout. So interesting that both of these guys, their sole loss coming by way of knockout. Whilst for Mike Malott, all eight of his wins have been first round finishes. So that tells you all you need to know just about how dangerous Mike Malott is although he has never come up against someone with the power that Johan Lanes possesses. Checking the tail of the tape, Malot, 31 years old, whilst Johan is 30, uh, same height, and a decent reach advantage for Johan Lanes. Again, that is something I think that can come into play in this contest. I listened to an interview with Johan Lanes, and he was saying, you know, if Malot just puts his punches in the wrong place a couple of times... I'm going to be ready to just knock him out cold. Now, I believe these guys either train together or have, or they have some kind of existing relationship. So they'll have a beer, they'll shake hands after the contest, no doubt. 
Uh, but yeah, I found that interesting that there is a bit of a previous relationship going into this one. Now, as far as, far as fighting styles, stylistically, this is going to be a barn burner. Both guys are fight finishes. Feels like someone is destined to get stopped within the 15 minutes. Although it could go to decision, given that, I mean, both men have some serious power. And if we see them respect each other's power too much, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, the contest could be 10 minutes deep. And then both guys will change their focus to getting the decision win. So I'm not totally sold on this one ending inside the distance. But when you see that both guys are very explosive finishes, it would lead me to believe that this one ends inside 15 minutes. Now, Johan Lanes is a striker. As I mentioned, power, his biggest, biggest weapon when it comes to his striking. Whilst Mike Malott, more of an all-rounder, mixed martial arts based. So he's got his grappling down pat. I think that's an area of this one that interests me because Johan Lanes, the stronger of the two, I can definitely see him getting on top and holding Mike Malott down on the mat. The only thing with Johan Lanes is that huge weight cut. So if he grapples early, that's all well and good, but he does run the risk of gassing himself out, and that would open the contest up for Mike Malott. Although, all eight of his wins for Malott have been first round, so we haven't really seen Mike Malott and what his conditioning and cardio is like going out of the first round. Now, rankings picture on Tacpology. Mike Malott is ranked 58th worldwide at welterweight, whilst Johan Lanes is ranked 69th. Nice. Advantage areas, Johan Lanes, I've mentioned it like 20 times, significantly more power in this contest, whilst I believe that Mike Malott has the better cardio as well as the better grappling. I think in this one, it's all about winning the striking exchanges, though. That's going to be the vital key for both fighters. And as far as my prediction, this is another really tough one. I've been a big fan of Johan Lanes. He's one of many talents that I've been keeping a close eye on and someone that I feel like has a very high ceiling. If he can manage the weight cut and get his cardio right, Johan Lanes has power to match anyone in the welterweight division, as well as power that could shut anyone's lights out at 170. So I feel very strongly about Johan Lanes and his prospects, but I'm going to go Mike Malott. And this one I'm super unsure about, as you can probably tell, but I'm going to go Mike Malott by knockout. I also think he's a very bright prospect. And look, Lanes by knockout was the way I was leaning toward, but I just don't fully trust his gas tank. And I think if this one is a wild contest, which I'm definitely expecting it to be so, at some point these guys are going to get tired. And I think when fatigue sets in, that puts Johan Lanes at a big disadvantage. So this one, confidence levels about as low as they can be with this pick. But I think at some stage, Mike Malott is going to take advantage of having the superior cardio. And I think he can put Johan Lanes away. So I've gone Mike Malott by knockout. Not a ton of confidence, but yeah, I think the gas tank's going to come into it. Lanes, in my opinion, tires as the fight goes on. This opens it up for Mike Malott. And I think he's going to find the finish somewhere in this contest. So that is my pick for this main card welterweight opener. I am going to take proper Mike Malott over Johan Lanes. And I'm going to take Mike Malott by way of knockout. Now that we've got that one settled, 
got four fights to go, so let's not waste any time and get amongst the next. Up next, former number one contender and ultimate fighter winner Tatiana Suarez returns for the first time in over three years, moving up briefly to 125 pounds to take on Montana De La Rosa. I'm going to start with Tatiana Suarez though, who we haven't seen since 2019, June to be precise. Now Tatiana Suarez, the 32-year-old American product who trains at Millennia MMA, was on a tear last time we saw her. Now let me go over her last three performances. Now she had a first round submission back in 2018 over Alexa Grasso. Oh, you know. Just the chick who's fighting for the belt next and has been on an absolute tear. Well, Tatiana Suarez dismantled Alexa Grasso in less than a round. Then after that, Tatiana takes on Carla Esparza, who? Oh yeah, the two-time woman's strawweight champion, a stylistic nightmare for most women in the division. And Tatiana Suarez didn't just win, she dominated dominated like Carla Esparza spent the whole fight on her back and pretty much just had no answer for Tatiana that one ended with 30 less than 30 seconds to go and a technical knockout win for Tatiana Suarez but the whole 15 minutes that followed before that or that came before that was literally just Tatiana Suarez dominating Carla Esparza yes Carla Esparza the former champion then after that, Tatiana found herself ranked second in the women's strawweight division. She beats Nina Nunes or Nina Ansaroff by decision. Then we don't see her up until now. So Tatiana Suarez, last time we saw her, she was in the box seat for the next title shot at women's straw or in the women's strawweight division. So Tatiana Suarez, somewhat of a forgotten contender, but she is back this weekend to pick up exactly where she left off, get a win in the women's flyweight division, and then it seems like the plan is to go back down to strawweight and challenge for the belt. Now, Tatiana has an 8-0 record or a 9-0 record if you look at the UFC's website. Uh, with the Ultimate Fighter, sometimes they count that on a fighter's record, sometimes they don't. So if we take away that Ultimate Fighter win, uh, then 8-0 is the record of Tatiana Suarez. Two wins by knockout, three by submission, three by decision, no losses. So Suarez is undefeated. We get to see anyone have an answer for how to stop her. And in my opinion, Tatiana is one or maximum two wins away from being the next title challenger in the strawweight division. But firstly, Tatiana is going to have to get past the always game Montana De La Rosa, an American, 28 years old, training at Elevation Fight Team. Now, Montana, she's been more active as of late, but hasn't had the results go her way, losing or winning only one of her last four. So there was a draw in there. So she lost two of those uh, and had a draw with Myra Bueno Silva. So only one win from her last four starts, Montana De La Rosa, with her most recent outing being a decision loss against Macy Barber. Now for Montana De La Rosa, her pro record stands at 12 wins, 7 losses and 1 draw, with 8 of those 12 wins 
coming by way of submission. So she's no stranger to the proceedings on the mat, but it does remain to be seen whether Montana De La Rosa is going to be on the same level when it comes to the grappling against Tatiana Suarez. Checking the tail of the tape, Suarez 32 whilst Montana is 28, and there will be a slight height and reach advantage for De La Rosa. In terms of their fighting style, Tatiana Suarez is an elite level grappler. We saw that in a domination of Carla Esparza. We saw that in the win over Nina Nunes. We saw it when she submitted Alexa Grasso. When it comes to the grappling, there may not be someone that can rival Tatiana Suarez. She's got 63% takedown accuracy, so fantastic takedown game, as well as having pretty decent striking as well. And stylistically, she's a bit of a nightmare for the freestyle fighter in Montana De La Rosa. Now, Tatiana has been dealing with injuries. It's been a really unfortunate run to the point where we wondered, will we ever see her get back to the heights she once reached? Well, now Suarez is back not before tearing every ligament in her knee back in 2021 when she was supposed to fight Roxanne Modafferi. So again, that's added to the time on the shelf. Tatiana Suarez out for over three years. Can she pick up where she left off? Now, stylistically, as I mentioned, Suarez has dominated everyone she's come up against in the grappling exchanges. She steamrolled her way through the women's strawweight division and she keeps a very high pace. So I do wonder whether De La Rosa is going to be able to keep up with that intense pace that Tatiana manages to set. And I believe when it comes to the grappling, Tatiana is just in another league. As far as levels to the game, I just simply believe Tatiana Suarez is on a higher level. Now, she was formerly ranked second in the strawweight division on the cusp of a title shot. Now, after over three years out, Tatiana is out of the rankings, so she's not in the top 15, and worldwide, she's ranked 22nd in the world strawweight rankings. She would be much, much higher if she hadn't have had the three years plus off. As for Montana De La Rosa, she is ranked 25th in the world women's flyweight rankings. So there's a lot at stake here, uh, although not particularly in this actual division, because if Tatiana wins, I expect her to leverage that on her return to strawweight. But if Montana De La Rosa wins here, that is massive and will immediately insert her in the frame for a shot at a ranked opponent next. Final thoughts on this contest, Tatiana Suarez. She's just an elite contender. Like I said, this card is about ones to watch, top prospects, and we've got a couple of potential elite contenders. Tatiana Suarez is one of those. And I believe if she wants to step forward, and really put her name forward for the next title shot in the strawweight division, then she needs to achieve a finish here. So I thought for quite some time I was going to go for this fight to go the distance, but in my mind, if Tatiana Suarez is serious about making a statement and pushing for a title shot, then I think she needs to get the stoppage here. So I'm going to take Tatiana Suarez. I'm going to take her by knockout, more specifically technical knockout. I think she's just going to get into the position where she's on top on the mat, uh, raining down elbows, attacking submissions, but I think ultimately uh, De La Rosa, she's got a decent defensive submission game, so I think she'll be able to get herself out of those submission attempts, but ultimately I think Suarez, she's just going to be too hard to shake. 
I don't think Montana De La Rosa is going to be able to get Tatiana Suarez off of her. And eventually, I think Suarez is just going to keep landing those elbows, keep getting into her work on the ground, and eventually achieve a technical knockout finish. So in this huge women's flyweight contest, I've got to go with who I believe could be the next number one contender in the strawweight division, that being Tatiana Suarez. And more specifically, I'm taking Tatiana Suarez over Montana De La Rosa by way of knockout. With that being said, now we only have three contests left to get into. So now let's get amongst some heavyweight action. Alright, next contest is between two blokes that I tell you what, if I ran into in a dark alley, I would do my best to run away. We've got two big heavyweights with serious power as Augusto Sakai looks to get back to winning ways for the first time in what feels like forever up against Dontel Mays. Now, for Augusto Sakai, he is on a four-fight losing run all four of those losses by knockout, he's been bounced from the rankings, and it feels like if there is a time to arrest this slide, it has to be this weekend. Opposing Sakai is Dontel Mays, who's going to be looking for the best performance of his career so that he can establish himself as a threat in the division and work towards earning a number next to his name. Now I'll start with Dontel Lord Kong Mays from Louisville, Kentucky, a 31-year-old representing Bronx Hill MMA. Now, Dontel Mays looked a bit of a prospect entering the UFC, took on Cyril Garn in his first fight, lost, then he lost to Rodrigo Nascimento. Back-to-back wins followed for Dontel Mays, a decision over Roque Martinez and a third-round technical knockout win over Josh Parisian. Then, most recently, Dontel Mays in July last year lost by decision to Hamdi Adelwahab uh, but that's been ruled a no contest. So it turns out Hamdi tested positive for steroids. Now, I remember this fight because I had my money on Dontel Mays. And to say I was not pleased would be an understatement. I thought it was a pretty awful performance from Mays. But his opponent was on steroids. So, yeah, I'm less disappointed now than I was at the time. And I'm willing to give Dontel Mays a pass. So what was initially going to be a black mark on his record and something that I really felt showed he wasn't ready for that next step in his career. Well, that's all being cancelled out. His opponent on performance enhancing drugs. So we'll just kind of put a big red X next to that one. Yes, he did lose. Yes, that has been changed to a no contest. And I don't think it's too fair to read into a fight where the guy he fought was on steroids. So uh, Dontel Mays going to be looking to pick up another win and get back to it after going two straight wins leading into that loss slash no contest. Now, Dontel Mays has a record of nine and four, five of nine wins by way of knockout, two first round finishes, and he looks like he's going to come out for the finish this weekend. I mean, Augusto Sakai, all four of his recent losses by way of knockout. So there's definitely an opening there that Dontel Mays can look to exploit. Now, Mays has a boxing fighting style, which I think, again, kind of feeds into the theory that he's going to be going for the knockout here. And listening to Dontel Mays talk leading into this fight, he believes that he is the faster and significantly more powerful fighter in this matchup. 
He will be taking on, though, the formerly ranked Brazilian in Augusto Sakai, a 31-year-old representing American top team. Now, looking through Sakai's last four bouts, this losing run all started in a main event spotlight position. Up against Alistair Overeem, this was the biggest spot of Augusto Sakai's career. If he goes on to win that, he inserts himself in the frame for contention at heavyweight, but he goes on to lose. Fifth round, at the very start, gets put away by elbows and punches, technical knockout loss against Alistair Overeem. Now, this is where the slide begins. Did he get given, this is Augusto Sakai, did he get given a very, very tough level of opposition over his last four fights? Yes. So let me just say, Dontel Mays is 100% a step down in competition from what Sakai has been facing, and probably the logical kind of opponent for Sakai, given what we've seen when he's taken on the top of the crop. So Sakai gets beaten by Alistair Overeem in the fifth round, then he gets knocked out in another main event, right at the end of the first round against Jarzinho Rosenstrike, gets knocked out at the uh, very start of the second round of his fight with Tai Tuavasa. That was the worst knockout of them all. Sakai, like, folded over. His leg was bent in a way that it just didn't look like it was supposed to be bent. That was one where he really got hit pretty hard. Then, most recently, August last year, Sergei Spivak, the latest in a long line of fighters that have been able to put Augusto Sakai away. Four straight losses, not where you want to be, but Sakai, he can get back into the winner's circle with a win over Dontel Mays. Now, looking at Augusto's record, 15-5-1 draw, 11 of 15 wins by knockout. So again, that feeds into the theory that we're going to see a knockout here. Four of Augusto's five losses have been by knockout, and all four of those being in his last four fights. Here's a little stat of 21 career fights. 15 have ended inside the distance, specifically by knockout. So of 21 fights, Augusto Sakai, 15 of them have ended by knockout. Again, all signs seem to be pointing to knockout here. Although for Sakai, I feel his best path to victory is actually to win by decision. I think it's going to be really hard for him to be able to knock out Dontel Mays. Uh, but in terms of who's the better fighter, I think Augusto Sakai has all the tools. It just depends what version of the Brazilian we get this weekend. And hopefully it's not the same we've seen on this four-fight losing skid. Tale of the tape, both men 31 and a decent, decent uh, height and reach advantage for Dontel Mays. Very big unit. I'm expecting to see him tower over Augusto Sakai. And yeah, it's, it's tricky to tell because Dontel Mays by no means is he on my radar as a future title challenger. And I don't have a ton of faith in him being able to get the job done here. But then with Augusto Sakai, there's so much to like with his skill set and so many reasons as to why he could win. But then you look at his recent form and it would suggest that all Dontel Mays needs to do is hit him right in the sweet spot and he can wrap this one up early. So there's a lot to go into this contest and whoever can come out with the best version of themselves, very obvious, they're going to come out with the win. Now stylistically, I've said it many times, I think a knockout's on the cards. Now Sakai does have a grappling game that he can lean on. 
but I don't think it's strong enough to the point where he's going to be able to totally snuff out the attacks of Maze. Now, Dontel Maze predicted that he's going to get a second round knockout, uh, so if you want to believe the man, that could be something to chuck some money on. Topology rankings picture Augusto Sakai, who was formerly in the UFC's top 15, now finds himself ranked 20th in the world, whilst Dontel Maze is ranked 48th. So huge, huge opportunity for Dontel Maze to make a massive jump within the heavyweight division and go from barely being in the top 50 to being right amongst the top 20 worldwide. Biggest fight of Dontel Maze's career and a crucial crossroads in the career of Augusto Sakai. I'm going to take Dontel Maze, and he's disappointed me before, and I don't have very much faith in him, to be honest, especially after the Hamdi performance. But then again, Hamdi tested positive for steroids. So we cancel that one out. And I tell you what, if that hadn't have been ruled a no contest, I think I would have gone Augusto Sakai. That's the way I've been leaning all week. I truly believe he has the better skill set. But the closer we get to this fight, the more I think, I, I don't know the best way to articulate this, but when a fighter has cost you a bet previously or you've put your money down and they've lost, that doesn't mean they're going to lose every time. So whilst I've lost faith in Dontel Mays and I don't have a ton of confidence, I'm also not going to go against him just because of things that have happened in the past. So I'm going Dontel Mays. He is a big, hulking human and I do have a lot of question marks about the chin of Augusto Sakai at this stage. I'm going to go Dontel Mays knockout. And you know what? I'm going to lean into his specific prediction and say second round knockout. And yeah, like all week I was thinking Augusto Sakai by decision, but I feel like in a 15 minute heavyweight contest, at some point Dontel Mays is going to start laying hands on him. When I see Sakai winning, it's by decision. When I see Dontel Mays winning, it's by knockout. When I ask myself, 15 minutes at heavyweight, is it going to go the distance? Probably not. Everything I've said leading up to this point would suggest that this is going to end in knockout. And that's why I'm going Dontel Mays, because I think he has the power and I have a lot of questions about the chin of Augusto Sakai. So let's lock that one in at heavyweight before I change my fucking mind. Dontel, Lord Kong Mays over his opponent in Augusto Sakai, and I am taking Lord Kong by knockout. The big man, I hope he doesn't let me down again. Let's see how it goes. Don't tell me it's by knockout. Now, let's sink our teeth into the co-main event. Okay, co-main event time. And this one at middleweight has a lot of significance. And if you don't believe me, let's cast our minds back to Israel Adesanya dropping the belt to the champion of the division, Alex Pereira. Now, one of the biggest takeaways from that fight is that the now champion Alex Pereira seemingly has a kryptonite, that being grappling. Now, Israel Adesanya proved grappling superiority being a kickboxer against a kickboxer. So now there's a lot of talk. Robert Whittaker, Kamzat Chemaev, and some of these guys who are grapplers within the middleweight division. But this co-main event features two men who could be the biggest benefactors should they win here in the middleweight division. Two very strong grapplers 
who stylistically would love their chances against the champion Alex Pereira. We have Andre Sergipano Munez, one of the great submission artists in the entire UFC, a man who has snapped the arm of Ronaldo Souza, one of the all-time great jiu-jitsu practitioners in the promotion. Andre Muniz said, I'm a better grappler than him, and he was on the night. Now, Andre Muniz, I believe in the middleweight division, is the biggest benefactor of this title change. Because if you want to talk about a grappler who stylistically can pose a ton of threats to the champion Pereira, Andre Muniz is that guy. Now, opposing him is a man who has been wanting and calling for a ranked opponent for quite some time now. He's had opportunities against the likes of Sean Strickland, and there have been times where he's been floated as an opponent for a ranked fighter. But now he finally gets his wish. That is Brendan All-In Allen, another guy in this division who, look, he bases his skills in his grappling. His submission game is his biggest asset. So when you look at the middleweight division and the landscape at 185 pounds, well, this fight has a ton of relevance. You've got the unranked Brendan Allen Allen looking to take that spot of Andre Sergipano Muniz, who with a win would probably get someone within the top 10 next. This is a fight that is going to tell us a whole lot about both men's trajectory going forward. And like I said, the winner of this could end up being the biggest benefactor of Alex Pereira capturing the middleweight title. Let's get into it, shall we? Now, I'll start with Andre Sergipano Muniz. He is from Brazil, 33 years old, and representing Tata fight team Montes Claros. Now, Muniz has a very impressive record, 23 and 4. Here's the part that's not so impressive and is quite interesting. All four of Andre Muniz's losses have come by way of knockout. There you go. So, there is a bit of a kryptonite for Andre Muniz. And interestingly enough, in the same way that Alex Pereira could be stylistically a perfect matchup for Muniz, it works the other way around as well. Because all four of his losses have come by way of knockout. And if you think, who's the biggest knockout artist in the division? It's the champion, Alex Pereira. So I'm watching this one very intently. Of course, Muniz is on a massive winning streak. Let me just count that. I'm losing count. Two, four, six, eight, nine straight wins for Andre Muniz. And when you look at his pro record, 23 wins, 15 by submission. This guy is a submission specialist. He, I would have to say, has the best submission game at 185 pounds in the UFC. But Brendan Allen, he disputes that. He believes that Muniz is going to meet his match when it comes to the grappling this weekend. So there's your key stat for Andre Muniz. 15 of 23 wins by way of submission, and he is on one hell of a win streak that includes wins over Ronaldo Souza, Bartos Fabinski, Eric Anders, and most recently, a unanimous decision over Uriah Hall. Now, I'm just going to quickly search this up. I'm, I didn't write notes for this one. I'm just going raw dog, so I apologize. Uh, but given that Muniz is a fight finisher, let's have a look at how many of those have been in the first round. 15. 15 first round finishes. So Muniz, nine fight win streak, 15 wins by submission, 15 first round finishes. 
I really have this guy as one of the elite contenders of the division and someone who is going to take a ton of confidence from the recent title change. Taking on Sergi Pano this weekend is Brendan Allin Allen, a 27-year-old American representing Sanford MMA. Like Muniz, Brendan Allen, he loves his submissions. 11 of 20 wins by coming by way of submission. And from his five losses, Allen's been knocked out twice. He's lost once by submission and lost twice by decision. So 25 pro fights, and we've only seen Brendan Allen be submitted once. So stylistically, a very tantalizing contest, and Allen riding a three-fight win streak. His last two losses coming at the hands of Extreme Couture Products, Sean Strickland and Chris Curtis, uh, but now three straight wins for Brendan Allen. A submission over Sam Alvey, a contentious decision against Jacob Malkoon. I had my money on Allen, but I actually feel as though Malkoon won that fight, uh, but very debatable. And then most recently, another one that won me some money, uh, it's first round submission over Christoph Jocko. So Brendan Allen, he's a bit of a submission artist himself. Stylistically, we're going to see a heap of grappling here. Allen believes that Muniz has met his match. I don't, I don't believe so. I believe Andre Muniz. I, I just have this guy right up there in terms of the absolute top tier middleweights worldwide. Now, looking at the rankings... Brendan Allen on Tapology is ranked 16th worldwide at middleweight. So that tells you exactly how close he is to the top 15. And a win this weekend would guarantee that. Apologize if you can hear the rain in the background. It's absolutely belting down. Now, Andre Muniz is ranked 11th in the official UFC middleweight rankings. So like I said, a win here. And I expect him to get a top 10 opponent next. Maybe the winner of Drakus Duplessy and Derek Brunson. We'll have to wait and see. But Muniz, when I look at this top 15, I, I genuinely believe that other than maybe Robert Whittaker, I think Muniz actually might be the person who takes the most benefit from this title change. I know I keep saying it, but when you look at Pereira and everyone's saying, okay, well now grapplers within the division are going to really rise up. I believe the best grappler in this top 15, outside of probably Rob Whittaker, is Andre Muniz. That is how highly I think of this guy. I think stylistically, he's going to be a nightmare for Brendan Allen. And Brendan Allen, he has said that he thinks he's going to be the match for Andre Muniz. I tend to disagree. Um, now, I was thinking this fight was going to go to decision. All week, I was thinking Andre Muniz by decision. But you know what? Everything I've been saying about being a benefactor and grapplers really having an opportunity to make a title run now... I think Muniz is ready, and I think the best way for him to put his name forward into title contention is to achieve a finish over a bloke who is knocking on the door, looking to steal that position in the top 11. So I think Andre Muniz, he's going to need to be on his A game, and if he is, I think he can lock up the submission. So look, this one, best bet, I'd be saying a double chance, Muniz to win by either decision or submission, but gun to my head, if I have to narrow it down to just one, I mean, I'm going to go with the numbers. I'm going to say Andre Muniz by submission. Interesting contest, though. Brendan Allen defensively very sound in a lot of the areas where Muniz finds his strength. And so if he can continue to turn away Andre Muniz, Brendan Allen is every chance of coming away with his hand raised. 
But ultimately, I mean, Muniz, he is one of the few prospects I've been following very closely with an eye on him pushing toward a title shot. So if I continue on that path, I think Muniz wins. Now, he couldn't submit a blue belt in Uriah Hall, but he's managing to submit all these high-level black belts and things like that. So I'm thinking maybe Brendan Allen, he's going to come in here. He's going to be looking to execute some grappling. Uh, but I feel like as soon as you start playing that game, Andre Muniz, that's where he's at his best. So that's how I see this going. I think at some stage, Brendan Allen going to get a little bit too confident. He's going to look to play the game on the mat with Muniz. And I just think Andre Muniz is too good. So co-main event, middleweight action. I am going to take Andre Sergipano Muniz to get the job done by way of submission. That leaves one. That leaves us with just one contest now. A huge and explosive contest at 205 pounds. You have Nikita the Minor Krylov up against Ryan Superman Span. And there is nothing else to do right now but for us to get amongst the UFC Vegas 70 main event. All right, let's get into the last fight on this card. Light heavyweight action. We have the eighth ranked Ryan Spam, equal eighth with Volkan Ustamir, up against the sixth ranked Nikita Krylov, who looks poised to finally make that charge towards a title shot. Huge, huge stakes in this one to push toward the top five and ultimately throw their name in the hat as a potential title challenger. A lot of questions too. Is Jamal Hill's next opponent going to be Yuri Prohaska? If not, this fight, as well as Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker, have a huge bearing on who gets the next shot at the belt. We've got Ryan Superman Span, Nikita the Minor Krylov. And look, I'll try to get through this one fairly quickly. We're under the well under the two-hour mark, so I'm liking where we're sitting. You've got Ryan Span from Beaumont, Texas, nicknamed Superman and representing Fortis MMA. 21 and 7 is the record of Ryan Spann. Uh, five of those seven losses being finishes, so he has been finished a bit. Uh, but 18 of 21 wins by finish as well. 12 submissions for Ryan Spann, as well as six knockouts. So the guy is as explosive as it comes. He is a bona fide fight finisher. We, we've seen that, especially in his last couple of fights. But Ryan Spann, inconsistency hurt his game. And it seems like now, finally, coming off that breakthrough win over Dominic Reyes, it seems like Ryan Spann is finally poised to make that push. 15 first round finishes for Superman as well. And he's going, oh, he's going on a two fight win streak. He's going on a two fucking, I can't speak English. I can't speak fucking English. Now, three wins in his last four. Had he stopped Misha Serkinov. Then he lost in a main event, did Ryan Spann, against Anthony Smith. Heated exchange at the end there as well. Smith feeling like there was some disrespect on Span's end. Uh, but a valuable lesson for Ryan Span, who now comes away much better off two straight wins and finds himself once again in this main event spotlight after back-to-back first-round finishes over Eon Kutalaba and then Dominic Reyes. He rinsed Dominic Reyes like that. I had my money on Reyes in that one. And let me just say, Ryan Span fucked him up. I don't know if Ryan, I think Dominic Reyes is done. And I'm not usually one to say that, but I think that was kind of the sign. This guy, is, this guy might be done. 
Ryan Spann, he's got he's got a knack for seriously putting guys away as well. Put away Misha Serkinov, who at the time was in the top 15, and Misha Serkinov then went on a slide to fall out and eventually get cut. So Ryan Spann, he doesn't just beat guys, he can take their whole career away from them. That reflected as well in his record, 21-7, and seven, and 18 of those 21 wins coming inside the distance. For Nikita Krylov, he as well is not someone who likes to go to decision. This is a five-round fight, and I will be shocked if it goes the distance. Krylov with a 29-9 and nine record, and in nearly 40 fights, this will be his 40th. Only four of those fights have gone to decision. Oh, this will be his 39th, sorry. Will this be his 39th? This will be his 39th fight. My apologies, my math and my English, not very good. Uh, but only four of 38 fights have gone the distance for Krylov. And 27 of 29 wins coming inside the distance. 12 knockouts slash technical knockouts, 15 submissions. But when you look at Krylov's losses, there is a bit of a glaring weakness. Six of nine losses by submission. So Krylov going to have to be careful there. He's representing RATY team and is Ukrainian slash Russian, something like that. I remember he got in trouble because he was wearing a Russian flag. So I don't know exactly where he's representing, but that is not as important. Now for Krylov, he had two straight losses up against Magomed Ankalaev and Paul Craig and has bounced back to now be on a two-fight win streak. Absolutely rolled Alexander Gustafsson in July last year. First round knockout, almost a first minute knockout. And then a decision win over Volkan Uzdemir. That has placed Nikita Krylov in sixth position. Now, is he going to remain in that kind of gatekeeper role? Or is he going to finally push forward and announce himself as a genuine contender at 205 pounds? And that kind of applies to both of these guys. They find themselves in a position where a loss, it really does set them back. Then they kind of just become cannon fodder and they'll probably be given to someone else who's on a rise and looks like they could become a contender. So there's a heap at stake. Feels like for both of these guys, the time is now. But only one of them can have that significant win. And it's hard, it's hard to pick who it's going to be. What I do know, I don't think this fight goes the distance. What I also know, winner of this finds himself sitting just outside the division's top five, one or two wins away from a title shot. So there is a ton on the line in this main event. Stylistically, very interesting. We know that both men are going to be looking for the finish. Neither guy is known for looking to outpoint one another. They're both known for getting the finish. Heaps of submissions on their record, as well as plenty of knockouts. So there's power, there's serious submission threats. There's a lot to go into this contest. And five rounds, it just screams that we're going to have a finish here. As for who wins, that's kind of the tricky part. Now, Krylov feels like now is the perfect time for him to finally make that next leap and go from a fixture of the division and the rankings into a bona fide contender. Now, Ryan Spann, very much the same thing. It's kind of two steps forward, one step back with Ryan Spann. And now, like, the loser of this, it, it is a pretty big kind of... You go backwards quite a bit because there are guys coming up in the light heavyweight division... And yeah, I just feel like the winner of this is on the path to a title shot. The loser, it's hard to tell exactly where they go from here. And they 
pretty far away from a title shot off a loss here, given that there are a lot of guys at light heavyweight, such as Kennedy and Zichiku, who are starting to make a run of their own. I think there's going to be a finish. I'm almost certain of it. Trying to work out my prediction, though. Who gets the finish and how? I'm going with the underdog, Ryan Spann. And I'm going to go with Ryan Spann by submission. I think at some stage, power's just going to come into it. And I think the more powerful fighter is Ryan Spann. So I think at some stage, we're going to see Ryan Spann manage to rock Krylov. And I think he's going to grab his neck and manage to choke him out. Could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first or the last time. Uh, but let me just have a look at those odds. Let me see what. So Ryan Spann, $2.50 head to head to win by submission. $6.25. $6.25. I'm done. Yeah, done. I'll jump on that. So main event. That's my prediction. I'm going to go with the underdog, Ryan Superman Span by submission. I think he's going to rock Krylov and manage to choke him out. Krylov, though, very dangerous. And what I do know, the winner of this is going to be in line for a title shot of another one or two wins. They're certainly going to position themselves for a top five opponent next and a chance to really break in to the light heavyweight top tier. So I'm going to go with Ryan Superman Span. That is the last prediction on this card. Now I've given all my picks for today, or tomorrow's action rather, Ryan Spann in the main event. There's been a lot of picks across this card that I'm not too sure about, so I am very keen to sit down and watch the card tomorrow. And then after that, I'll be back for UFC 285. John Bones Jones in the main event against Cyril Garn for the vacant, undisputed World Heavyweight Championship. We've got Grasso challenging for the flyweight title against Valentina Shevchenko. You've got Jeff Neal up against Shafkat Rachmanov. Shut your lips. I'm fucking there. You've also got Bo Nickel, a huge prospect who's going to be on that card as well, taking on the Night Wolf, Jamie Pickett. Huge card for South African MMA, Drikus Duplessis and Cameron Simon as well, with Duplessis taking on Derek Brunson. Big clash in the middleweight division. So... We've wrapped this preview and predictions. It's now time for me to go away and start preparing next week's. I'll try to get that out a little bit earlier to give everyone time to have a full listen. And yeah, it's going to be a hell of a card headlined by the return of John Jones. A lot of questions about that main event, but let's save that for the next preview and predictions podcast. That is it from me today. So there's not much else to say. Maybe a quick social media plug. Why not? If you enjoyed today's podcast, Make sure to follow us on Instagram at NotJustASportsReport. That is the best way to keep up with when new podcasts are coming out. And there's a lot of extra posts that go up on the Instagram that aren't included in the podcast, such as our performance highlights, which is essentially our answer uh, to performance bonuses. I just don't have $50,000 to hand out. So essentially, it's like a performance bonus, except the fighters couldn't give a shit about it. So yeah, performance highlights. One of the many things over on our Instagram, at Not Just a Sports Report, that you can enjoy. But that is it for me from now. Got a few underdogs on this card, so we'll have to keep tabs on how everything goes. And just to repeat, Ryan Superman Span by submission. That's my pick for the main event. All my other picks have been released on this podcast, so now it's time to get amongst... What am I getting amongst? A birthday today. We've got a birthday, so... Some drinks for a friend's birthday, that's what we shall get amongst. Then I shall rise early in the morning and get right amongst the UFC. From the apex, the crowd will be going wild. 
doesn't get much better than that. Thank you for listening. This has been UFC Vegas 70, preview and predictions. Until next time, have a fucking ripping weekend and make sure to take care of yourselves. Oh yeah. And of course, enjoy the fights.